and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am your host this week, Danny O'Dwyer, joined by all hat, no cattle, Rob Zachney. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't know it was going to be aimed at me, Danny. I, I, I like to think I've got uh, lots of hat of cattle uh, when it comes to this show, uh, but it's good to be here. I thought I'd set up our um our two part our two person podcast this week with as much antagonism as possible <laughs> with an idiom I learned five seconds ago thanks to Rob. Which what does it mean? It means full of talk or something, is it? Yeah, like but it's also just like calling out fake cowboys, right? Like oh, who, okay. like people who masquerade as like ranchers or uh you know real uh real hands and Cos- cosplayers. Shit. Yeah. So uh, one Ricardo could say that is now the hot. largest immigrant group in Texas, right? <laughs> okay. Is uh, people just rolling in there and being like, "I'm a Texan now, y'all." And it's like, "All right." I mean, that is that is Daniel Ricardo on a, on a race weekend in Austin. He he goes out and gets the boots, and he he did an entire press day speaking with a weird American accent. Yeah, it was a bit much. Um, I think uh, F one F one social media continues to find it charming. Uh, like I think it's offensive, but I think like his bits are corny, right? And so like there's a lot of oh man, Daniel Ricardo so charismatic, and it's like I guess by the standards of like really reserved F one drivers, sure. Uh, but like some of this stuff is whack. <laughs> Daniel Ricardo. Uh... More to talk about him, although not all that much in today's race. Uh, we are without Drew, who is on assignment. Is the two of us um, the most American of uh, of the um, Shift F1 crew here? Uh, but I just want to say that you should also, if you are new to F1, check out our preseason primer, episode 137, which will give you all the lowdown on what it is exactly is going on in this sport, in this crazy season. Um, shout out to all of our patrons over patreon.com slash shift F1, our video, our review, our film review, our latest exclusive podcast on a life of speed. The Juan Manuel Fangio story is now currently available. Went up a couple days ago. Um, interesting chat, Rob, wasn't it? That one. It was, uh, it was good, good chat and you can sort of see how we felt about the movie, but the chat was good. Yeah, yeah, I feel like chat, yeah, let's not spoil it, but mm, mm, mm. anyway, uh, uh, shout out to all of our incredible title sponsors, uh, the good folks, such as Jason Kelly, Will Romph, Umberto Roca, Troy Stammer, Circuit Demon, Reagan, Snigs, Connor McManners, Joel Roberts, Jason Chadwick, Abdullah Althani, Bailey Foot, BPM, Drew Stewart, Simon Villeneuve, David Mule, Josh Haynes, Tractor Share, Gnarly Goat, Veal Shanks, and Iron Station Studios. Thank you all so much for sticking with us. Some of those people stuck with us for the entire 2021 season. Unbelievable. Which is still going. We are we are not done, folks. We have a lot of races left to do, or I guess we're kind of in the last the last stages of in it. In this new era, F1 never ends, I think. Yeah, I the, guess it is, doesn't. Is the truth. Like, we just segue smoothly into preseason. This is uh, traditionally where a lot of, like, racing ends. I was doing race around the world. I was getting it ready just now, and a lot of races stopped going around the world. It's kind of, you know, winter. <laughs> but, well, it is. I, I think it also... Um, I, it, I do wish that... I kind of like that it does go late because it does feel like ever since we started tipping into fall, uh, you're getting more interesting weather from racing. Yes. And so I'm like all for it where it's like autumn turning into a real quality uh, race season because that's when nature uh, turns on the track sprinklers. Right. Yeah, we we thought there might be a slow chance of uh, some some spitting, some rain, uh, mostly during qualifying, and might as well jump into the weekend. Um, there was a little bit, but it was quite near the end, like basically the final turn, <laughs> as it happens, as Verstappen was making his way around. Um, we had a little bit of interesting bits and bobs. The bumps that were on the track didn't seem to throw that many drivers. There was some worries beforehand. I guess they had done some... Uh, or they're doing proper resurfacing, I think, before Moto turns up, but they had done a little bit of uh, resurfacing on it. Um, Giovinazzi had a spin in Q1 up at the exit of the hairpin, but uh, somehow managed to still squeeze into Q2. Um, his his team radio was quite funny. He said, wow, really? Uh, he thought he had bummed his lap, basically. Um, uh, we had a fantastic Q3 where Checo Perez was on pole for a good five minutes and with a really good time. And it also looked like maybe the track wasn't going to produce faster laps. Um, 
for the first sector, at least for some of the drivers. But I guess Hamilton then pipped him. Uh, and then, of course, on the final, once the, the, the numbers had gone zero on the final uh, attempt, Max Verstappen did the job and beat him by uh, uh, over two tenths, actually. It was a pretty, pretty solid lap from him. Uh, any surprises for you from qualifying? Um, <clears throat> not really. I think I kind of felt like the uh, Red Bulls did have the advantage here once they were, once they were showing qualifying pace. Uh, despite this having this track having reputation for being a Mercedes stronghold uh, as it's been for for this era, uh, I thought I thought uh, Valtteri would get more pace out of the car uh, with the new power unit parts. Didn't seem to really uh, pan out. Had a had a pretty uh, not reasonably uh, uneventful qualifying, but might have expected just a little more. Uh, a little more performance from him, and with the penalty, it, it felt like he was taken out of race relevance uh, before quali had even ended. Yeah, um, Bottas was going to take a... Was it a five place, or was it a... Yeah, it was five, I think. Yeah, a penalty. He ended up producing a lap that got him into fourth, but of course he'll start further back than that. Um, yeah, there was... You're right, the, the the Mercedes has been dominant here, and it, it actually seemed like it was regressing during the week. Like, I think they changed something to do with the rake of the car because they were the bumps were affecting them a bit more maybe than they would have liked. Also, did you see that video of the um the rear suspension on the DRS straights? No, the, just tons it was of like, flexion. Yeah, it was it was flexing down like you could see the like it almost looks like the um like it like the the car sits out when it's going yeah, uh, it's getting a bit of pace. So it's not dissimilar to what Red Bull had at the start of the season that Mercedes um uh yeah, I think they off. did mention that Mercedes had had to go to a higher ride height, if memory if memory serves, uh, because of the way the car was performing, and I think again just because of the way it was inter- it was going over some of those bumps. Uh, yeah. So I think you know that may have ended up being decisive, as we'll discuss. Ride height uh, being connected a lot to sort of the uh, aero performance you're going to get across a race was going to link to uh, you know it's going to link to tire degradation. Uh, also, I think you know two other things I guess that jump out is one qualifying was packed for a u.s grand prix weekend yeah um everyone's talking this weekend about like it felt like every single day including practice days were an event uh at coda and so this like even before the race day arrived people sort of felt like this was the race where you, you qualitatively saw how much bigger F1 now is in the United States. Yes. Uh, which you might have started picking last year if they'd raced here. Uh, but, you know, I think when they were last year, two years ago, Drive to Survive was just starting to break through. So you didn't have, like, you missed the leading indicator of what was changing. Uh, but it sounds like it was pretty wild there. Um, I guess the other thing is Checo was apparently sick for a lot of the weekend and oh. was starting to, like, come down with stuff. So he was uh, struggling through a lot of this weekend, and I think this started to pop up, uh, like, basically from the minute they hit the track. Wow. Well, he did all right, considering. Uh, almost got that pole, which would have been really fantastic. Obviously, he is, uh, has a massive following here in the States. Uh, he'll have an even bigger following when we go to Mexico City. Um, he'll probably have a million and one press junkets. He'll have more press junkets that day than probably the rest of the season combined. Um, and there was a lot going on this weekend. We also had the W Series uh, double header because they were originally supposed to drive in Mexico next week, weirdly enough, or this this coming weekend. Um but uh, uh, did, did not do that in, in favor of a, a doubleheader, um, which uh, finished the race. We won't spoil it, but it finished the season. And it was uh, went down to the last race, which uh, was pretty cool. Uh, the starting grid, though, for our F1 race uh, in first position, pole position, Max Verstappen, uh, followed by Lewis Hamilton, Sergio Perez in third, and Charles Leclerc taking up that fourth spot. And with Valtteri Bottas dropping down the order, Carlos signs behind him with a Ferrari wet sort of double header there. Then we have the McLarens two by two, Dino Ricardo in sixth, Lando Norris in seventh, Pierre Gasly uh, picking up eighth in his AlphaTauri. Uh, solid qualifying weekend from him. Valtteri Bottas pushed back into that ninth position. Yuki Tsunoda had a great qualifying, got into Q3, I think, for the first time this year, I want to say. Um, uh, solid lap, uh, just about squeezed in. Esteban Ocon in 11th then. Antonio Giovinazzi with a solid queue, qualifying in 12th. Lance Stroll, 13th. Uh, Nicholas Latifi in 14th position, 
Another decent uh, job from him. Kimi Raikkonen rounding out his final lap, uh, final races in F1 with a 15th performance. Mick Schumacher in 16th. Nikita Mazepin in 17th. Followed by Sebastian Vettel in 18th. Fernando Alonso 19th. And George Russell 20th. I am assuming those are for engine penalties. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember. Although I know Vettel didn't have a great qualifying anyway. Um, so... Into the race, I guess. There's nothing else that's coming up there. Um, I'm also going to talk about... Uh, it's in the news section, but did you catch the broadcast? Did you watch the uh, broadcast that was on ABC? Um, I, w- I, watched, I mean, I watched the race live, but I, I don't know if well, I they did. So, had. unusually, usually ESPN cuts off the pre-race. This time they did the full Sky TV package uh, oh, cool. running on ABC. So, so like Martin Brundle doing his Brundle's... first pit walk in two years? Yeah, did you see it? <laughs> I didn't. I, I, I came in. I was minding okay. my daughter, so I came in like five minutes before the race. Yeah, uh, it's been interesting. I was, I was. I had a feeling this would sort of break through into mainstream consciousness. Uh, to be clear, I think we're we both are agreed. Like part of the spectacle of the grid walk is that every grid walk reporter is professionally annoying. Like their job is to <laughs> yeah. walk up to people who are not planning on talking to media and like conduct an impromptu interview really opportunistically just grabbing people uh, as they walk by. Apparently this is a beloved thing. Like people just love the, the grid walk. I've never understood it. I found it excruciating when Buxton was doing it for uh, NBC. Right. Um, as, Brundle as, is good. I think. Brundle I like- is good, but he, um, his attempt to interview Megan the Stallion, Stallion uh, was catastrophic. Who is this person? I don't know who this person is. Uh, she is a really popular uh, rap act uh, right okay. now. Um, has broken through like in the last three years. Uh, <laughs> Man, and... I'm so out of touch. Okay. Even yeah. Martin Brundle knows who she is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like two things is she was wearing a really dramatic costume that I swear she had somebody walking uh, like behind her to continually... Okay. prevent wedgies yeah. uh, from forming. It was just like a cloud <laughs> of attendance, right? Like, there was the person minding the way the wardrobe was hanging. There were, like, there was a bodyguard, and there was, uh, like, I think just some sort of personal assistant uh, sort of hovering around her. Brundle sees her, beelines toward her, and is, like, trying to get this interview. And, like, first the the uh, the bodyguard, who is very much, like, just a big dude, but also like looked pretty stacked. Like, so, like not like mall cop security, but more like guy <laughs> wearing the vest outside the club, like a like okay, a Kevlar yeah. vest. Um, but she lets she, he doesn't completely brush off Brundle. She starts to answer some questions, but she seems mostly uh, amused by him because it's like okay. having a hobbit parachute in. And he's like, hey, Martin Brundle from British TV. Uh, you're a freestyle rapper. Do you have a rap for us? Oh, no. And she's burst out laughing. It's like, no, oh, I don't. I'm no. sorry. And then he starts asking, like, who are you supporting? At that point, that's uh, the question. That's that's the great. That's the best question of the bunch. That's when they when they all have to remember the one driver and they Lewis. Yes, yeah. Uh, But she doesn't even get a chance to answer because the other personal uh, assistant sort of swoops in and is like, "You can't be doing that." Um, And Brundle's like, "Well, I can do that because I just did." Uh, And Brundle (laughs) sort of just shoved aside, and uh, she and her entourage walk on. The funny thing is. Like, to me, it's just, like, it was it was corny as hell, right? Like, walking up to a f- performer and being like, hey, can you do the thing? You you want to do the yeah. thing for us? Do the thing. Say the yeah. line. Say the line. Radio yeah, shit, boy. like, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. And so I totally get, like, <laughs> why he got sort of the amateur hour treatment from her entourage. But the way this has gone over in F1 land, is hilarious because the amount of like umbrage being taken in F1 oh, really? media, Autosport ran like a piece on it and a like full aside about like how shitty uh, her her entourage was. Um, and he <laughs> wow. said, can't believe, "Can't believe a rap entourage swung their weight around." That's like <laughs> breaking news. It's yeah, their job. and so <laughs> he he ended up saying. Uh, 
you know, he went on Twitter and he said, I felt under pressure on the grid before, but by people called Senna, Pross, Schumacher, Mansell, Pickett, and so on. Bodyguards visiting the grid for the first time don't bother me. Everyone's got a job to do, but they could maybe learn some manners and some respect on oh our patch. Gosh. Oh my gosh. This is, this is starting to look a little bit white to me. It, <laughs> I don't it, know. Dude, it, it sure is. <laughs> it sure is. And apparently, like, uh, he got brushed <laughs> off twice by Serena Williams uh, during the right. grid walk. And these are all celebrities in, like invited to do this by uh, like Liberty Media, by F1. Yeah. But there's been a bit of like, well, then they should show some respect to the sport and the figures of the sport. And it's like, F1 does this because they want pictures of these people in proximity to F1. But yeah. like, they're not making them. There's no media availability here. <laughs> Um, and so it's been, it's been just kind I, of a, I, yeah, I think all is fair, all is fair in grid walk in, in so far that they, they, if Brundle wants to go up to them and interview them, great. That I think that, but then he also needs to take, if it doesn't work, you can't just take the L. You can't, you gotta take the, you can't, exactly, you can't like say like, hey, well, you know, the whole point of the grid walk is that it was the kind of like breaking convention anyway, that like Brundle was a driver and knew these people so that he was able to kind of breach that veil that had previously existed. So like the whole thing is based on him getting in people's, you know, breaking a rule. So if they also in turn break the rule, the transaction the other way and don't, don't play ball, then sure, that's, that's. You know, you can't have it both ways, surely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think like I don't think Brundle has. I think I people have made a bigger deal out of it than Brundle did, uh, and I get like why he felt that the uh, behavior by the bodyguards was a little bit more brusque than it needed to be. But like I like yeah, to me the entire thing is just kind of embarrassing. Uh, it's very provincial, right? Of, yeah, that's, like. Hmm. You know, who are you to, to not make time for the Sky TV F1 broadcast, uh, you know, while you're visiting the grid? So that, that, anyway. that was corny, but it's very funny just watching uh, how offended the F1 world was overall by that. And I think it's like, in the U.S., you're the, you're the small celebrities. That's the other thing. In the U.S., like, you are not anywhere near the Serena Williams level. You're barely at the Megan Thee Stallion level, and right. like, there's there's also that in play. Well, sounds like a lot of uh, discourse around it. Uh, let's move on to the the reason why we're all here. Well, most of us, maybe some of the celebrities don't really care about the race. Yeah, I'm just talking the, yeah. uh, the race itself. Um, so, 56 laps around uh, fun little circuit. Um, a lot of chat this week about uh, the ability to overtake here. Um, how the wind would play into stuff, uh, how important track position would be, and that all basically came um, into focus during this race. Uh, let me take the start, I guess. Um, so uh, Hamilton has a fantastic start right at the gate, and that's the worry, that if you're in second position here at Coda, you've got that inside line, you're heading up into the hairpin. If you have a decent start, you're probably set. If you have a better start than whoever's in first, it's going to be very hard for them to defend without um, scuppering their race. And that's basically what happened, is we had Hamilton up the inside on turn one on the hairpin. Uh, Verstappen, for his... He fought it a little bit. He he initially tried to push Hamilton, basically squeeze him as much as he could, so he'd have trouble on the exit. Um, but he wasn't crazy aggressive. Kind of let Hamilton have it. He did get slowed down a bit, and Perez had a much better exit. But Checo, in terrific second driver form basically gave Verstappen the position back during the S's. Uh, what, did, what did you make of that? I, I, it's been a while since I've seen such a blatant, like, nah, nah, you, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I thought it made, it made perfect sense. Like, why even raise the issue? This is, this is so standard. At this point in the season, like, unless Checo's got a clear shot at the win, he has no business fighting for it really if you're if you're Red Bull like this this goes back a long ways in F1 right where like if if you got a guy with a live drivers uh championship fight you help him out unless you are also in that hunt uh so like him dropping back into the tail gunner position uh made all the sense in the world and it did look like so they were minding his pace a little bit I am sure uh but he didn't seem to have uh the kind of pace that that max had so i i think if they had not if, you know everything ends up mattering in this race if they hadn't cleared that up uh right away it might have thrown the race off yeah uh great little battle there was a one spin at the back there latifi got uh he says he got squeezed um he ended up tapping 
Um, it was uh, um, a straw, right? So yes, it was. Uh, Stroll got spun around. So the two of them were at the back of the gear pretty much right away. Uh, fantastic battle, though, happening between the Ferraris and McLarens, um, which at one stage saw Norris, Ricardo, and Sainz going into the turn 12 left-hander at the end of the straight. Uh, and you could have, like, tossed a coin for whoever was going to come out on top. Yeah, that all got really interesting because I think Sainz was clearly, like, exceeding track limits and... Uh, to to hold on to the spot. The interesting thing was he says he ceded the position to Ricardo, thinking that he was the one he'd sort of denied position to. Uh, and then later, uh, much later in the race, they were like, yo, you need to give that position back to uh, Norris. And he sort of did, but like took it back immediately. But the, the thing is, I, I did kind of feel like if you're a McLaren, you could feel a little bit like wronged by this. Because to me, it did, it did seem like it's not that... Both the McLarens, I think, got signs. Like I think they they both had his number in that mm. exchange. Like I think I think it was curtains for him. Uh, and so I, I like my read on it was he held on to either of those positions because he uh, sort of exceeded like fair racing. Um, and they were trying to argue like, well, no, it was only one position. I felt like in that moment in the race, like both, like it, it, you get sandwiched like that, where you're like dealing with a tandem attack and you can't defend either. Um, yeah, that was that was my kind of take. Like I felt like Signs had a rough start uh, versus the McLarens. Yeah, I was bummed out because um, I thought that Ricardo had pulled off one of the best overtakes I've ever seen um, in the uh, like multi apex turn in sector three. But it was just signs letting him fast. <laughs> but at the time, it was like, oh my god, he overtook up the inside of that thing. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, signs unfortunately uh, was you know yeah he had a bit of back and forth with his team radio about about um, that whole thing. But yes, as we sort of suspected, most of the battling happening on track in that first lap. Um, Coda's a decent-sized track. Uh, there's a bit of space here, um, and it's basically going to be a two-stopper, so you can tell at this stage that we're into a strategy battle, and that's kind of how the rest of this race plays out. Um, we talked about, yeah, Sainz getting in trouble for the wrong, uh, leaving the wrong McLaren past. Uh, around that lap on lap four, uh, Ocon is the first one to come in to pit for hards incredibly early. Uh, it's not till lap 11 that we start to see some of the other ones come in. Uh, Sonoda comes in, moves from soft to hard. Um, uh, and then he and uh, Botas are having sort of an, an elongated battle throughout this race, um, which was quite fun to see. Uh, Sonoda had a decent race weekend. I think he's been, you know, he's had a hard season in many respects he's you know his teammates been outperforming him but it was nice to see him go toe-to-toe with uh you know a driver and arguably the best one of the best cars on the grid yeah i think um i suspect Sunoda is not going to be a beloved driver uh on the grid because like he does fight these things hard um and will not like sort of seed ground like a lot of guys start like will sort of concede at a certain point there's the race I'm in and then there's the position I'm in and they're not yeah. actually like one and the same. Sunoda treats them one and the same, uh, and will like fight all the way, uh, you know, to, to, to the last round. Uh, but I, it does make for good racing. Like it makes it a lot of fun when someone is out of position and they have to clear Yuki and that's never easy. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe helping out the sister team a little bit there as well. With uh, Although I'm not sure if Botas is really in the mix uh, this time around. Um, we come up uh, just after that, Max Verstappen fitting into hards. So the window is kind of open here. Uh, Lando also coming in with Hamilton saying the tires are okay. So this is interesting because this sort of like puts everything every everything else in motion. What we see here is kind of the opposite of what's happened to... Red Bull at other races, say Barcelona, for instance, where they are sort of not so much going for aggressive, uh, um, what do we call it again? Uh, Undercuts. Undercut, but uh, establishing the track position is perhaps more important than, than, than that. So by Max pitting uh, in this situation, he is trying to basically get ahead of um, Hamilton and then he also, I, I guess this is when he comes over to the radio and suggests that they uh, also box Checo to cover off Hamilton for the undercut. So using 
using Perez as like an undercut intimidator to force Hamilton um, to come in as well. What did, what did you make of this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have felt like, with the caveat that, again, the team with more pace tends to look like they're making better calls because they have more pace. Like, if you have more right. pace, everything looks better and works out better. Uh, and so, like, maybe there's nothing to this. I have felt like Red Bull tend to be a little bit more decisive uh, when it comes to, like, changing race strategy on the fly, whereas I think uh, Mercedes tend to be a little bit more deliberative. And I think Hamilton also has an inclination to say, well, if you just let me manage tire wear, uh, yeah. I will get you the fastest race time with the, with, the, with the least amount of wear and tear. I think in this case, though, to me it sort of felt like Hamilton was already in trouble because he couldn't shake uh, Verstappen. And usually the guy in clear air has a little bit of advantage uh, that he can build out into a, a, a decent lead. He never really got rid of Verstappen. Verstappen was always hovering near DRS range. Uh, didn't seem to be... He was seeing Hamilton sliding around. He wasn't reporting many problems. Yeah. So he really did have a hold of like the, the, the hem of uh, you know, Hamilton's jacket, really. Um, and so when he, when he pulls in and gets on those hards and immediately starts setting like really quick lap times, uh, now that he is out of, he has to, he has to, he's now a little bit like in traffic, but he's no longer lapping behind Hamilton and, uh, is, is able to really make up some, some ground on the track. Yeah. To me, it felt like this was like. To me, it started to feel like this thing was going to get away from Hamilton very, very fast because it worked out so perfectly uh, for Verstappen. The undercut worked so well. It was no time at all before he was in, like, well inside uh, Hamilton's pit window where there would be an overtake, uh, you know, while while Hamilton pits. And it it just felt like once that was done, I would not want to be, like, overtaking the Mercedes is harder. Yeah. Absolutely. I mentioned the um the track position stuff. Actually, that doesn't happen until the the next pit stop. I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but as you rightly said, um he sort of finds a finds a window to come out. It's an aggressively early uh, um pit stop. They also do bring in Perez at this stage, uh, pr- pr- pretty quickly, like on lap thirteenth. Um, he actually has a poor stop, three point seven seconds, which isn't ideal. He goes on to the mediums. Uh, Leclerc comes in then as well. It's the next lap that Hamilton comes in to cover off that uh, Perez pit stop as well. So he's not like caught in the mix with him, although the 3.7 stop maybe muted that. Um, in any case, Hamilton pits, comes out, maxes ahead by, you know, a decent amount. Who knows? Uh, 600 yards or something. He's, he's he's up at the crest of turn one by the time Hamilton's coming out of the pits. Um, lap 15, we have uh, Gasly out with broken suspension. Uh, like I said, the, the bumps here were tricky. There was actually two instances in the W series of cars getting launched into the air by the like little sausage curbs on the outside of turn one. Um, one of them was incredibly aggressive in the second race. She her nose went straight up and launched like four, you know, three feet in the air, maybe because that's on a hill as well. So you get quite a lot of air if you're if you're doing launches there. Um, but obviously the Alfatari's had a little bit of trouble with this. Um, uh, you never like to see a suspension break and not know where it happened. It's never a good sign. Sixteenth, um, Bottas comes into the pits, puts on hards, comes out behind Yuki again in 11th. Well, we got to talk uh, about the Alonzo Reckoning incident. That's just, yeah, that's yeah. the next one. Alonzo and Kimi. What what do we think? We got two, what are they, combined age of 115. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm curious I'm curious what you thought, because it ends up being Reikkonen is making an aggressive move along the outside, and this is turn one, right? Um, yes. And yes, this is turn one. This is the the two of the track limit turns. We have turn one and turn it's twelve, I think, right? The end of the DRS race. And they race it's- side by side, and uh, like Raikkonen ends up completing the overtake off the track, but there's no daylight between the two cars. Like you can see yeah. metal uh, flaying off of uh, Raikkonen's body uh, because they are racing so close and and they've gone so wide. I think it's um, off Alonso actually. I think it's it's off the the side pod on him. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, so like what was what was your take? 
uh, like, where was Kimi meant to go? Like, on the onboard for both of them, Raikkonen's wheels are basically between Alonso's wheels. He's not like, he's going, he's sticking as close to Fernando as he possibly can while Alonso's feeding him out there. So, for me, it was a very, like, Alonso is pushing him out as wide as he can go. He sticks with him, and then he doesn't actually do the overtake until they get into the S's section. He retains the speed, but it's not like he overtook around that outside. He was, you know, he was trying to stay on track as much as he could. So to me, it was, you know, reminded me of, it was the same as the um, the Perez-Hamilton thing that happened in the last race, where they went around that little bollard at the pit entry. You know what I mean? Like, it felt like one of those, like, oh, Hamilton forced him out wide, but like, sure. And then Perez gets him on the straight, right? Yeah, that was that was my take too. And like, the fact that, Alonzo was immediately on the radio saying, like, he, he passed me off track, and it feels to me like they're giving this complaint way too much oxygen. Like, I, I, think f- it, I think his, his radio doesn't help. I think the, the nonsense that happens on the, the radio, what happens later, is... Oh, is yeah, the, the whining from the team uh, trying to work the ref is, is something else, too. But, like, this was a clear case of, like, Alonso took a really aggressive line to hold the corner, and he'd lost. Like, Raikkonen had more speed. Uh, like, Raikkonen had, like, tried to stay as close to the racing line as possible. So he clearly also could have made the corner. Like, it's not like he had to use the runoff to complete the pass. He was going to make the corner, except there was a fucking Alpine in the way. <laughs> and so, like, the notion that somehow, like, it was... Um, like this is the sort of this is why track limits uh violations exist i think that's laughable uh i I think like this is alonzo got beat alonzo tried to like if alonzo had caused an incident he would have been penalized i'm pretty sure for this like if if reichen ends up being taken out like alonzo is going to get penalized because he forced that issue so it is strange to me that there is, and we, maybe we'll get to this in the news, there's still, like, ongoing hand-wringing about, like, yeah, we need to clarify these rules. I'm like, I think they're pretty <laughs> so, clear. So, like, uh, Alonso I, got I, beat, yeah. fair and square. And so I, what are we doing? And I hate to bring in, like, a driver's, like, like the notion we have about a driver that feeds into, but, like, this was typical Alonso. Like, oh, yeah. Like, like the, you could have, you know, if you would, if you show me that and not shown the cars, I, I probably would have, would have guessed Alonso in the first two guesses. Like, it was, yeah, silly. And then it comes up later on the opposite end with Giovinazzi. Um, uh, what? It, yeah, actually, I think it's the next lap. Uh, Bottas gets past Sonoda on on the end of that back straight, and and then. Yeah, what did you yeah, what did well, you think of this? So we have Alonso and Giovinazzi who gets he's basically saying and then the Alpine uh team manager starts shouting at that, <laughs> at the race director about was, about whether or not you're allowed to overtake her. It was like so strange. Well, yeah, and again, I think this is kind of illustrative of how working the refs works, which is then Alonso does a really, I think, childish, like, well, if that's okay, then I am just going to make a clear rule violation. And so he just passes Giovinazzi uh, off off track. And immediately uh, we hear, either concurrent with this or, or not, his, uh, like, his team radioing Michael Massey saying, just to be clear, it's okay to pass off off track now. Uh, we're, we're okay with that. And Massey, who mostly just seems to be paid to be like a customer, like a really patient customer service rep in a lot of ways, where he's like, in no. this, yeah, when it, certainly when it comes to these weird calls he gets in the teams. Well, especially because he's not the guy handing the penalties yeah. out, so he's just like, no, it's he's not directing okay. the race. Yeah. Uh that's yeah, we're we're not that is the there's no change in the rules like you have to pass on the racing <laughs> He said so exasperated. Yeah, like, and no. and their response is well, Raikkonen did it to us and it's like they're trying to draw a parallel that doesn't exist. It's like so I think it's, silly. it's so it, like it's so specious. <laughs> it's um <laughs> the fact that again this has to be entertained is absurd. And so he ends up being ordered to give the position back um and then it's the, the same thing that happened to Sainz, basically. Sainz went up the inside on turn 12, caught too much going in, went down to the runoff, and then used that to overtake Giovinazzi. Yeah, so it's... If anything, you you could look at both of those instances, and they're really good examples of when one of them is a penalty and when one of them isn't. 
Yeah. Uh, and at that point, it just seemed to be bare knuckles, right? Like, Giovinazzi was not... Giovinazzi is driving like a guy who's either fighting for his job or uh, knows he's not going to have lose. a job. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was, like, showing no quarter to Alonzo. He was comfortable mixing it up. And eventually they did ding him for uh, going offline to retain position. Uh, and Alonzo was able to just sort of power through and, and leave him behind. He did have, he did have more pace. Uh, but yeah, it was an interesting, it was, it was a good fight and it was an inter- interesting one. Um, it, it did seem like a series of, of tit for tat, uh, tests of the racing rules. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> a good exa- I think a good tr- uh you know d- tutorial on on track limits and overtaking for anyone who's uh watching their first grand prix. Um onward we go lap 26 Vettel gets past Russell. Uh, we have a short virtual safety car for a piece of debris on the track on lap 28. Um lap 30 uh, Verstappen pits uh 2.8 second pit and this is basically as I was alluding to earlier apologies I got my my pit stops mixed up this is basically Verstappen pitting for a position where he is essentially trying to protect against an undercut so he pits first um to try and uh, ensure that he can retain uh track position which seems quite important here perhaps after sitting in Hamilton's wake for the first whatever it was 15 16 laps of this race he also has an understanding of how tricky it's going to be to close that uh, and like Rob said if Red will have the pace then it's kind of a moot point if he's going to be able to keep Hamilton ahead of him he's going to be able to do that much easier ahead of them than behind him uh, Hamilton at this stage is sort of uh saying that he might go long and classic Hamilton style try and like squeeze out as much energy and rubber from these tires as possible uh, we'll have to see. Uh, Sainz comes in and in a blow to his battle with the McLarens uh, has another bad pit stop, 5.6 seconds. That's two in a row for him um, here and at the previous race. So a bit of a bit of a shame there. A couple laps later, Sergio Perez comes in. Um, Ricardo comes in to protect against that undercut from Sainz and so does Norris. Actually double stack because they're going to try and get out ahead of Sainz. Uh, as it happens, Sainz comes through and splits the two of them when they exit the pit lane. Um, so we are now Ricardo signs Norris, which is kind of where it was before. Um, but a decent battle between between those. Uh, also, it's worth mentioning that like the the constructors' battle between the two of them could not be closer. Like we are, we are that that could be settled by single points um, at this stage, half points perhaps. <laughs> um, then where are we? We're up to lap thirty-five. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda and Kimi Raikkonen make a pass stroll. He gets kind of double whacked. Hamilton eventually pits on lap thirty-seven. Has a decent one, two point four seconds. Uh, and then basically we sort of saddle up for the end of this race. Um, the pit walls are telling the drivers that this is all going to go down to the end of the race. Uh, it's all going to be the last three laps. Hamilton is told, um, and he is told to close the eight second gap that exists between him and Verstappen slowly to not take too much out of the tires to sort of he has enough there's enough laps left here this is a 56 lap race I believe so we're on 39 so decent amount left and to basically just reel him in slowly and then hopefully because his tires are about what are we? Six laps. Six laps, seven laps, six laps fresher? Uh, maybe eight, that, actually. Eight, yeah, actually, is like it? Verstappen yeah. came in on, on 30. And, 30. Uh, yeah, Hamilton 30. came in like 38, I think. 38, 30, yeah. I think it clicked over to 39 cause he, because he was ahead of him. So, yeah, it would have been eight. Eight laps, which is a lot. Um, so, we'll basically have to see. Um, what did you make of this, Rob? Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, I felt like it was a... It was a hard job left. Uh, It's funny, like, I think Mercedes was really focused on getting that gap down before the the second round of pit stops. And they had pulled in a striking distance, and I think before they could decide what to do with that position, Red Bull were kind of ready for once it hit that distance, that they just, like, they were not going to fight it any further. Uh, So they, 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 like, let Hamilton do all the work of catching up and then immediately pull the trigger. Uh, and sort of reset the table. Um, and it doesn't seem like it was an option at all to try and like make the end of this. Uh, so Hamilton like was gonna have to come in. Um, 
it seemed to me like once they'd made that call, it was a lot left to do for the, the very end of the race. They were like, it's going to come down to the wire, and we just know how tough it is to overtake in two evenly matched cars. Um, it, But I would still say like the, the duel went unexpectedly, in part because I also think everything from this point that could have gone wrong for Verstappen regarding traffic went wrong. Yeah. And I don't think it did for Hamilton, really. Yeah, the the two battles that sort of continue on for the rest of these this race is the one between Sainz and Ricardo for fifth, which has a great little bit of back and forth. They actually touch on lap 43. Um, and then Hamilton and Verstappen. And like Rob said, Verstappen really had a lot of trouble with backmarkers. Um, a couple of them getting a bit squirrely as well. Raikkonen got black and white flags. Uh, Ocon actually retires around this uh, stage with mechanical issues in the rear. So it sounds like these bumps were maybe having a bit of an effect on the cars over uh over a long enough period uh but the gap is shortening um and and kind of dramatically so uh as as Verstappen makes his way through those back markers those blue flags are waving lap 44 it's 4.1 seconds down to 2.4 by lap 48 uh, 49 we have Leclerc closing in on Perez for third trying to get that last podium spot Leclerc had a great weekend I'm not sure if I mentioned it earlier but his qualifying lap was absolutely fantastic um, solid race for for those guys. Um, lap fifty stands at one point nine seconds. Lap fifty one one point five. Um, Alonso but the retires. rate of closure started to fall off so quickly here. Like there was a point there where Hamilton's gouging like a half second a, a lap out of him, and then it started to level off. It's like Verstappen had kept a little bit left in the tank, uh, like for the end there. So like he started setting faster times, and so it wasn't a steady like. I think the expectation was also he would just continue to fade. He kept some fast laps in his back pocket uh, to sort of see off some of this uh, Mercedes charge, which, uh, which was ended up being crucial because, yeah, he could not catch a break with when he was hitting people on track. Yeah, I, you're, you're totally right. Basically, once, kind of like they said to Hamilton to you know, reel him in slowly, presumably Verstappen as well, while trying to get past the back markers, but at the very least was keeping something in the tank because the minute Hamilton got a sniff of getting into DRS range, Verstappen would would push it out. Um we had Alonso retiring on fifty one, uh saying that his rear wing had like broken up or something. I don't know why. Yeah, exactly the Alpines didn't seem to be able to weather this track at all. You no. Know, yeah not not great there was a bit of a worry kind of when you see cars retiring especially the earlier one that like ah maybe something weird is going on here but yeah Alcon and and him out um in quick succession um Verstappen like you said pushing and keeping Hamilton back uh Vettel gets past Giovinazzi into 11th uh, on lap 53 Verstappen retaining that gap still uh, Vettel also then gets into 10th. He's having a great little end to his race. Gets past uh, Raikkonen, who once again goes wide. Probably got more black and white flags for that one. Um, three laps left uh, here on lap 54. It is a 1.5 second gap with two laps left. It's down to a 1.1 second gap. Those blue markers really, or those back markers, those blue flags really causing him trouble. Um, Verstappen then has a blistering sector two. Uh which pushes out that gap as well. Mick Schumacher getting blue flags, who had that little tap with, with Perez um, in, uh, in practice, I think it was, uh, earlier in the week, and was apologetic about it, although I think it, it was seemed to be more Sergio's uh, fault. But in any case, um, uh, get on to Michael is what Verstappen says, not talking about Schumacher, but talking about Michael Massey to, to get Mick out of the way. Um, Gap then goes down to 1.1, But on the final lap, as they approach the DRS straight, Verstappen has had a really good sector one, and Lewis does not well, get DRS. And he and Verstappen does from from uh, oh he does Mick. That was the yes. wild part is that I don't know if he just like realized. Okay, well, Mick's going to be in the way, so I'm just going to get this one, like, I'm going to check up and get this advantage here. I also don't know how Hamilton, there was never a moment where the, uh, like, live interval showed him not in DRS range. It seemed like he was, like, it felt like he was in DRS range as they were approaching that line. It didn't pop, um, so he must have just slipped right out of it. Uh, yeah. just as they were the, hitting that line. The um, times just before were 1.1 and 0.8. So he yeah. was swimming in uh, there somewhere. 
but he it, just missed. And the race ends with it. I think the gap is nine five five. Now, so. I'm still skeptical that that would have done it. Like, because yeah. coming from like, I don't think it would have. Yeah, coming from all the way like the end of DRS range, like it is like you need a real power differential to like make that up. I don't think like even if Hamilton gets DRS at that point. And Saver Stappen didn't. Maybe it's doable in that case. But if they're both in a drag race with DRS, it's done. Think about all the overtakes that happened at the end of that start finish straight where one of the cars went out the other end. They weren't overtaking on that straight. They were getting kind of within, you know, throw it down the inside, you know, distance. That was it. So, yeah, I'm with you. I I don't think it would have made, it would have been enough. He would have probably needed a couple of laps of that, maybe. Or, and at that stage, it's just tricky. Like the tires, both tires when they came in uh, to Park Fermi were just like absolutely chewed to bits. Um, and you know they've they've got less fuel and everything. But like I think I think it was tricky. Hamilton was complaining about wind at that stage too, as well. So there was a lot going on. Um, but that was it. That was our race. Uh, your winner. For the Austin Grand Prix, Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton getting second, Perez holding on to third, Charles Leclerc in fourth uh, with a solid race weekend. Uh, Dan Ricardo managed to cling on to that fifth place with Valtteri Bottas, Bottas even, um, pipping Carlos Sainz for a sixth position. Uh, Sainz in seventh, Landonars in eighth, uh, Yuki Tsunoda in ninth position. Decent uh, weekend for him. Um, Sebastian Vettel managing to get that 10th place after starting in, was it 19th, I think. Uh, great job, Seb. Antonio Giovinazzi, unfortunately, not getting any points in 11th. Lance Stroll in 12th after that spin on the first lap. Kimi Raikkonen in 13th. Uh, George Russell, 14th. Nicholas Latifi, after his first lap pirouette, ends up in 15th. Um, Mick Schumacher uh, after that. Nikita Mazepin. And we have DNFs from Fernando Alonso, Esteban Ocon, and Pierre Gasly. All three of which, with some variation on the back of my car, got bumpity bumpity too much. And I had to end the race. So, not great for the Alpines and at least one half of the Alpha Tauris. At least they had Yuki getting some points, though, um, up in ninth. So, great job. Um, any standouts from there for you in terms of the race? We, it's almost a shame we didn't get to talk too much about the McLaren and Ferrari fight because that was a that was a great one. It was it was a good fight, um, but I think the fact that like Leclerc isn't part of it is kind of telling as well. Yeah. Like it seems Ricardo seemed to know the jig was up uh, back at was it Monza uh, where he's like I don't think we're going to be giving them too much. I don't think we're going to be competing for a lot of races uh, for from here. It does seem like Ferrari are sort of uh, like have the upper hand uh, at this point. So it's like I, I think there there's some good fighting, but it also seemed like once you took weirdness out of the equation, <clears throat> it seemed like uh, the Ferraris may be a, a bit faster. It's a good it's a good fight, um, but it, it does feel like it's starting to slip away from McLaren a little bit. Um, so, like, the Ferrari comeback is continuing apace. God knows what's going to happen next year, but uh, they've done a really done a really remarkable job of turning around uh, what looked like a pretty washed car uh, over yeah. the course of a year. It's remarkable. <coughs> when we get to the constructors' uh, standings, um, you'll see it. Actually, should we do that before we do news? I think uh, that's yeah, how this works. I wish, I wish Drew was here. He helps. He helps. He's the he's the circus master for the whole thing. Uh, our twenty twenty one driver standings then, as they lie with only a couple of uh, races left going uh, into the rest of the season. We have Max Verstappen in first with two hundred and eighty seven and one half points. Lewis Hamilton behind him, two hundred and seventy five point five. We should mention Hamilton getting the fastest lap during the race, closing that gap by one more point, and it could come down to one point. They are. What are they now? 87, 12 points between the two of them. Unreal. Valtteri Bottas in third with 185 points. Sergio Perez in fourth with 150. Uh, great job by Checo there. Jumping above uh, Lando Norris in their battle for fourth position. Although they'd also probably like to say they were battling for third position given how poor uh, Bottas's race uh, or qualifying was with the engine penalty. I guess uh, Lando Norris like I said, in fifth with 149 points, just one behind Checo. Charles Leclerc in sixth with 128. Carlos Sainz behind him 
in seventh position with 122 and the one half points. Darren Ricardo with 105 in eighth. Then Pierre Gasly with 74. Philando Anzo in tenth position with 58. Then we have Esteban Ocon with 46, Sebastian Vettel with 36, Lance Stroll in 13th with 26, Yuki Tsunoda in 14th with 20 points. Uh, yeah, adding to his uh, total this weekend, George Russell with 16 points in 15th position, Nicholas Latifi in 16th position with 7 points, Kimi Raikkonen, uh, the last of the points-bearing people basically in 17th position with 6 Antonio Giovinazzi has one Uno point oh in 18 position, and then we have Mick Schumacher, Robert Kubica, and Nikita Mazepin in the order that they are in for whatever reason, um, with zero points apiece. The constructors' championships as we enter the final chapter of the season. Mercedes ahead with 460 and a half. Red Bull Racing, pretty close, 437 and a half points. McLaren Mercedes with 254 and nipping at their heels. Ferrari, 250.5, three and a half points uh, between the two of them. Alpine in fifth with 104 points. Alpha Tauri in sixth with 94. Aston Martin Mercedes in seventh position with 62. Williams with 23 points in eighth position. Uh, Alfa Romeo having a real stinker this year with seven points in eighth position. And Haas with the goose egg. All right. That's all the the numeros out of the way, my friend. Uh, should we take it to some news? Yeah. Uh, right. first, first up, what we got here? Well, so uh, I didn't realize this, but apparently Max has stopped sitting for Drive to Survive interviews. Okay, and, I'm not surprised in a way. Yeah, he, so I mean, I'm, I'm curious what you make of this. He, he, gave, he gave a very simple answer for why that is. He said, from my side as a driver, I don't like to be a part of it because you do interviews and you don't know what it's going to be used for. So, for example, in my first year, I gave interviews. But, of course, when I watched the series, I know when I said these things and then they use it on a different kind of footage. They would fake a lot of stuff. For me, that as a driver, I don't look at it as a fan. I think that's not correct. I understand as a Netflix show, they want to make it more dramatic for people and make it look like this epic kind of battle uh, where sometimes they fa- they faked a few like rivalries or whatever, which they don't really exist. Um, and he, he sort of spoke, he said more, but it was all sort of repeating that point, this notion that like, and he, he paid attention. Like, I think he noticed last year's, he's like, look how often they just like start showing Austria footage to illustrate something that they're trying to make a point like later in the season. It was like, they always keep going back to shit they did in Austria. Um, I kind of get where Max is coming from. Um, yeah, I do too. I think, you know, uh, this comes up in my day to day quite a lot is the, you know, when you can basically sort of forge whatever, you know, there are lots of options with playing with the truth when you have interviews of people. It's not very difficult to to spin stuff one way or the other by using footage or music in whatever manner you want to. And like, especially last year's version, I feel like there was a lot, that's when the audience started to really notice that they were cranking that up. Um, some of the ones like, you know, the, the Lando stuff with, uh, or not Ricardo with that with signs was was just ridiculous um so like I personally feel like like I enjoy the 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 press freedom as it exists I think drive to survive is a fantastic tool for bringing people into f1 but I also respect the autonomy for of the drivers to be part of it or not and I think that comes in the exchange between journalists and and party that like if if somebody doesn't want to talk to you because of something that happened i think that's within their rights to do it i think the tricky thing with drive to survive is that they don't report on themselves at all so it's it's going to be awkward trying to have him or not have him in the past they've just breezed over the fact that there are some drivers that didn't talk to them like hamilton didn't talk to them the first season um there's a couple of drivers actually kimmy basically hasn't ever talked to you know he did a bit last year but not very much they kind of played into that a little bit um but yeah i respect his autonomy to not talk to them i think it's hard to disagree with what he's saying Um, and also i think verstappen is probably the one who's most proactive about shutting down this type of stuff like do you remember the press conference with him and hamilton when he had like he said like we've had like so many questions about this already like i'm done answering questions on whatever it was silverstone right the the, the crash they had at silverstone i'm done answering questions about it and like almost had like solidarity with Hamilton over it, you know? And Hamilton was like, yeah, all right, same thing. So, well, he- I mean, I, I think so. That was a case of he was done with it because he'd lost a big PR fight, right? Like at that point, he, he was protective, but like he had no problem 
like he he had no problem sort of waging these uh, sort of self-directed PR campaigns himself. It just didn't go his way. Um, the piece on I think this was race fans uh, like was analyzing like some of the the things that he might have been sore about. He's actually been treated okay by Drive to Survive. Like I think some of these other folks you've you pointed out have more cause for yeah. complaint in terms of stuff being sort of manufactured. Um, I do like I get where Max is coming from, and I do think it's a problem if when Drive to Survive is at its worst, it is because it is when it is trying to make something out of nothing and trying to just like fill airtime. And if their habit of doing that by like amping up innocuous moments and trying to do the reality TV thing of like editing to like imply emotion and reaction that doesn't really exist. If that has cost them access to one of the protagonists of like mm. the title fight of 2021, then that should be something like if I'm driving to survive, I'm real concerned that this happened. Uh, if I'm a and this, and this is why I like it, I think, because because yeah. it, it, it gives the driver some sort of power in the in the exchange, which then might force different creative restrictions or or changes on drive to survive. And I also think we were we were giving them a lot more rope in these first couple of seasons. Now it's an established show when an established yeah. like audience. It's sort of it's as you said with the amount of people it was 400,000 folks at the Austin Grand Prix a lot of them were listening to this podcast sending us pictures thank you so much by the way at shift f1 podcast if you have any pictures uh tweet them at us uh, it was awesome watching them all weekend um you know they did the job mission complete almost right for drive to survive so i think the relationship the audience has with dts is going to be different next year as well because it's no longer this sort of like scrappy underdog documentary series it's you know the sort of main entry point for any new F1 fans for the past four years. So, you know, it's kind of, I, th I think that is going to change things too. Yeah. The thing that'll kill it is if um, the, the, the one thing they can't do though is right now, I think Verstappen and other drivers have a fair point, which is that this show works hard to sort of manufacture storylines sometimes. Um, at the same time, the thing you don't want to end up turning into is uh, they, they've inside of this, like Alonzo's worked with uh, uh, Amazon's um, like documentary teams, and his the 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 piece on him like I watched part of it. It was fine, but it was very clearly like this is a Fernando Alonso produced thing. Like this yeah. is very much a this is PR. Um, I think if you're if I think if they're losing drivers because they're misrepresenting them, that's a huge problem. But I think if they overcorrect, you end up in Hard Knocks territory. Yeah. And Hard Knocks became a pretty boring TV show, I would say, the minute NFL teams started really being able to control that access and turn it again into, we will feed you, like, we will run, like, Potemkin meetings, but we won't show you any of the actual stuff that, that happens uh, behind closed doors in F1. If that happens, um, Drive to Survive won't won't be a very compelling product either, uh, because I think fundamentally these teams, with the exception maybe of Gunther, the teams love to present themselves as hyper competent and uh, just the best <laughs> in the world, and I don't think that's true. Like they're they're very good, but I don't think like you know if everyone is hyper competent on the grid, then by definition there's going to be by F1 standards, there's going to be people who are not very competent. Right. Uh, and that needs to, like, that needs to be part of the story. Um, Any other bits and bobs news-wise? I know it was pretty slow coming out of this one. Yeah, I mean, Massey uh, was sort of granting that, um, you know, Alonzo had cause for complaint that the call around Raikkonen was marginal. I don't mm. think it was. I don't like for, like, I don't like that Massey is out here, uh, you know, granting that a pretty clear-cut racing uh, duel was somehow like a a gray area thing from Raikkonen uh, in response to you know really familiar whining uh, from Alonso at this point. Uh, I guess the last thing that sort of caught my eye is Nico Hulkenberg tested uh, an IndyCar and right, yeah. turned. Apparently, it's like literally like his first time actually doing a test, and he was within one second of uh, the 
guys testing from Indie Lights, uh, David Malukas was, oh, was wow. the uh, sort of one-to-one comparison there. And apparently, Nico is in the hunt for uh, McLaren's uh, remaining IndyCar seat. Zach Brown has said right. that Nico is toward the top of the list of candidates for that. I am... That might be a nice thing to say. I have a hard time saying... I like Nico, and I think if you promoted him well, he could be a compelling figure in the sport. I just kind of feel like Zach Brown is going to be more interested in getting uh, someone... Like, he, he's already got, I guess, Patricio, but mm. I'm not sure is he going to want a another F1 sort of retread uh, being one of the faces of the IndyCar operation. I don't know. Um, I think it'd be awesome if, if Nico showed up and just like dominated. People always said like he was a great driver who never got the right chances yeah. at the right moment. Uh, so I'm actually really curious what would happen if you dropped him on an Indy grid. Give me the IndyCar Nico Hulkenberg documentary where he wins a race and then smashes a Microsoft store window. Goes back to those kids and like, yeah, how do you like me now? What have you done since... Since you called me out of the Microsoft store, you little shit. Stayed at home for two years, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. All right. That's our. That's all our news for for this week. Uh, it was a chocked uh, episode when it comes to the race. Anyway, um, uh, let me do the little last piece of housekeeping here. Uh, we have a fantasy. Um, I was about to say fantasy football, fantasy F one league. Uh, the uh, code is in the. Uh, show notes it's also just 7350a6d919 if you want to stick that in uh, i can't for the life of me figure out how to find out who the people who did good this week are i will figure that out for next week but i can run through the top 10 as we have them here um in 10th speedy race team um from the philippines uh, from the u.s uh, gasly deserves a better drive uh, also from the u.s in eighth position mclaudanum in seventh from america it's turbo time in sixth. Uh, Aston Point Racing Pink India from Sweden. Uh, Verstop Your Bullshit from Canada in fifth. Tima One from Turkey in fourth position. Bottas the Iceman uh, in third position from Australia. And then we have two Canadians up front. Ben Van Vilnov rocking it in there. And one point splitting them and the current winner, uh, uh, current leader, I should say, uh, Kota Afternoons, the ballad of Danny Ricky Bobby um, in first position. So congratulations to all of our fantastic fantasy team uh, teams in there. Thank you so much for playing and best of luck on the final stretch. We'll be back next week. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. If you have any questions, we'll be talking about um, all of the, the goodness leading up to the Mexican Grand Prix. Uh, you can follow us at Shift F1 Podcast on Twitter. I'm at Danny O'Dwyer. He is Rob Zachney at Drew Scanlon. If you want to see what Drew's up to, who knows where Drew is right now? It could be anywhere. Um, he could be racing around the world. Rob, do you want to do it this time or should I do it to myself? Oh, uh, I think you got to do it to yourself. I'm okay. not. I like, I can't do that. I can't sing. You said you can't, yeah, well, I can't do <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll you do it with great feeling point. though you have commitment okay gusto okay come on danny where are we going yeah not much racing going on like i said w series was supposed to be on this weekend but it got cancelled and we did a double header at austin we do have super formula though heading over uh in suzuka in mie prefecture Check that out on Sunday. The WEC uh, is also kicking off in Bahrain at the Bahrain International Circuit, which you should know very well if you are an F1 fan. I did want to do a little bit of a check-in on the calendar because I did do a little bit of talking around the fact that there's only a couple of races left the next Wednesday. So let me give you a little bit of a refresher. We do have Mexico coming up, not this weekend, the next weekend at Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. We are then going to Interlagos, also known as Autodromo Jose Carlos Pache, uh, on November 14th. So that is a uh, double header, as we call them. Then are, we are heading the next week Psych, it was a triple header to Qatar for the uh, La Salle International Circuit in Qatar on November 21st. And then we have one week gap before we head to Jeddah, the brand new street circuit in Saudi Arabia for the penultimate race. Then back across, we're just bouncing across the peninsula, east to west, back to the west, to Ab- sorry, to the east, to Abu Dhabi for the 
official final race into the sunset at Yas Marina Circuit on December 12th. Then, and only then, are you allowed to buy your Christmas presents. What do you make of uh, the rest of the season, Rob? you think this is going to go down to the wire? I don't. I don't. Mm. I just, like, I, I saw folks saying that it's it's still all to play for, and I agree, like, there could be... I don't know how you calculate for things like what happened at uh, Baku, right? Where Max's car just breaks, and then Hamilton throws the race away. Like, stuff like... Stuff could happen. Um, but it does feel like when both these guys are in the hunt and they both finish the race and nothing, like there's no collisions between them, uh, it feels like Mercedes aren't able to get enough in the places where they're strong. Uh, and Red Bull's consistently uh, maximizing uh, the, the places where the, the circuit favors them. And I feel like, um, I don't know, it feels to me like the the... You know, there's there's some X factors in here, but if, uh, my suspicion is the remaining part, a lot of the remaining circuits do favor Red Bull. Bet. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, to as you rightly said, the sort of uh, the the instability you tend to get with these cars earlier in their lives. This is the final year for a lot of these cars, and they've you know aside from apparently some of the bumps at Coda, they generally finish races. We don't get that many crazy retirements or random incidents. Um, so. We'll have to see. And also, as Rob so rightly said, uh, Mexico is a track that the Red Bulls like. In the past four races, Lewis Hamilton has won it twice and Max Verstappen has won it twice. So we'll have to see what happens next time around. Rob, pleasure as ever. Thank you so much for uh, jumping on as ever this week. Pleasure as always, sir. And thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, thank you to everyone. We've had a great year so far this year uh, with new people coming on as well and leaving us reviews and saying nice things and giving us healthy criticism as well. I appreciate absolutely all of it. Um, if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or anything like that, drop us a review. Stick, stick a rating on there if you can. Um, and, uh, of course, the option for more podcasts, especially available if you join up on our Patreon. I know a lot of people do it at the end of the year so they can kind of go back and listen to a year's worth of podcasts and fill out that break. Uh, Patreon.com slash shift f1 if you want to do that uh otherwise we will see you next time around thank you so much uh we'll see you on the other side to talk about mexico um have a great week race weekend we will see you all then yeah the sounds make there we go yeah double yeah oh we even got rob doing it